Blog Talk Radio. Good morning. This is Attorney Vincent Davis. This show is Get Your Kids Back Now. The show is dedicated to keeping families together and to fighting the tyranny of CPS and DCFS social workers. A secondary purpose of the show is to educate parents and relatives or to at least show them where to get the necessary information for them. Good morning. Um, We had a little technical difficulty. I had to call back in. So I hope our listeners are still there. Today, I'm going to tell you about a a very interesting uh, thing that happened to me uh, this week. And this is what happened. Several years ago, um, a family hired me to represent uh, one of the parents in the juvenile dependency court. The allegations were that the father had uh, committed serious physical abuse against the child. The child had a uh, broken, uh, as I recall, a broken collarbone. But it's been so long I haven't done the case in a long time. Anyway, through the investigation of the case and the trial, I realized that the social worker one or more of the social workers had fabricated evidence and made up things about the case uh, to implicate the father. And even at that time, the police were investigating and threatening to um, arrest him and, and prosecute him for this serious physical abuse on this child. To make a long story short, um, <clears throat> the judge, I don't know if the judge ordered it or if both sides did it, but both sides got um, a separate evaluation, physical evaluation, to determine if this injury was, uh, you know, child abuse. <clears throat> Our expert came back and said that it wasn't child abuse and had an explanation for the abuse. The county's expert came back with the same conclusion. You know, everyone was shocked. But when the county, and the county used a very well-known doctor, uh, I think the doctor was a, an expert in orthopedics. Um, but anyway, this doctor was well-known in the uh, juvenile, uh, juvenile dependency arena. She had written reports and testified in many occasions. And in my many years of practicing, I don't think I ever, ever remember her testifying on behalf or coming to the conclusion on behalf of the parent. Now, that may be because whenever she determined um, something, you know, that the parent didn't perform this abuse or cause this abuse, uh, she wasn't allowed to testify by the county. And I never, you know, it was was their expert. So some would say they didn't have the the obligation to inform me of the of this, but in this particular case, she came out and said that it wasn't child abuse, that the accident or the injury occurred just as the parents had explained it had occurred. So we had the trial. The county still was going forward trying to prosecute the family, uh, and they had taken the child away from the family and placed the child um, with a relative, and the relative was in another county, as a matter of fact. But anyway, we went to the trial. Um, the judge, 
found that the allegations were not true and dismissed the case. And that day or the next day, the parents got the child back. Now, I was poised to um, bring a lawsuit on behalf of the entire family. Um, I represented the father and another very well-known attorney here in town uh, represented the uh, Anyway, I, they hired me uh, to do the civil rights lawsuit against the county because, you know, the county had, we felt, not been truthful about certain things. Um, for whatever reason, they decided to uh, hire another attorney, another well-known attorney in uh, Los Angeles County to represent them, who's very well-known, who's an expert at these types of cases, and off they went, and, you know, I really never heard from them again about the case, and time has gone by. And then uh, this week, uh, they called me, and they asked me to uh, come in on the case to do the trial, which is in a couple of months. It was very surprising for a lot of reasons, but I, I'm not, this is not why I'm telling you the story. I'm telling you the story because during that discovery process in the civil rights lawsuit, they had discovered that the county withheld what's called exculpatory evidence from us at the time of trial. Not only did we have the two experts who basically ruled um, that it was not child abuse, but the county allegedly knew that it wasn't child abuse from the very beginning of the case. At the very beginning of the case, in most cases in Los Angeles County, and in a lot of counties in California, they, they order what's called a hub assessment. And allegedly this child was assessed by one of their own doctors um, at the hub assessment. And that doctor allegedly told the social workers that this wasn't child abuse. Now, Think about this. I'm defending the guy in juvenile court from losing his parental rights, possibly forever. Not only that, but the police are thinking about prosecuting him for child abuse. And had they prosecuted him and had he been convicted, he was going to jail for many, many, many years. So it comes out during the civil rights lawsuit discovery, the social workers knew that it wasn't child abuse. They never told the judge. They never told me. They never told the mother's attorney, by the way, which they have a statutory obligation to do, uh, to disclose evidence that's favorable to the parents. And, um, you know, they proceeded with a trial against this family. Luckily, we won, and we won it without the exculpatory evidence. But had we had that evidence, I, I don't think we would even have to have had a trial. The child would have been returned sooner. So the reason why I'm telling you this story is because it reminds me of something that I always tell the attorneys that I work with, and you should always talk to your attorney about this. In these particular cases, you have to do that. You have to do informal discovery and discovery because. I found, as in this case, if you don't specifically ask for something, they're not going to give it to you. 
Now, in that case, I, I, as I recall, because it was many years ago, we did ask for discovery. We never got it. Um, we never got that piece of information when we relied, you know, on our expert um, and, and the county's expert. But just imagine, from the very beginning, the county knew that it wasn't child abuse, and they still tried to prosecute this case against the parents. Mind-blowing, isn't it? Remember to do your discovery. Um, I'm going to take our first call this morning from area code 209, ending in 74. Good morning. You're on with attorney Vince Davis. Did you have a story to tell or a question to ask? Good morning, Mr. Davis. I have a question to ask. Um, so I am uh, in the process of going to trial for my Juris Dispo, and um, it all sides, including my attorney, um, my husband's attorney, are saying that they're going to, um, the judge is going to order me into um, drug court. And I was wondering, um, part of their proposed um, proposed sentencing that CPS has written out for the judge, um, part of that is saying that we have to sign over our HIPAA rights um, to CPS. In other words, if we do any kind of um, psychological anything, we have to sign um, releases to CPS. And I was wondering, is that legal? You know, that's a Hello? very good question. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Thank you. Okay. So that, that's a very, very good question because it comes to the crossroads of federal law and juvenile court state law. And I'm seeing a lot more cases, or maybe it's because I'm seeing a lot more issues, I'm just a little bit more experienced and educated, where sometimes these laws or these orders in juvenile court infringe on very important medical rights and HIPAA rights. Now, the answer to your question is, is it legal? Maybe. And I can't give you a definite answer because I'm not sure that it has been decided by our courts as to whether it's legal or not legal. And sometimes if it's decided by a court that it's not legal, it may be later overturned by a higher court that it is legal and then overturned again by another higher court that it isn't legal. So, you know, it's a very gray area. I can tell you this, because you have, important federal rights under HIPAA, you do not have to sign, um, in my opinion, you do not have to sign them away. Now, that's just my opinion, and that's something that you and your attorney are going to have to decide depending on what type of order the judge makes in the juvenile court. However, and this is a big however, if you don't comply with the juvenile court's order and you don't give it, get it overturned on appeal or someone else doesn't get it overturned on appeal throughout the country, um, you're not going to get your children back because you didn't, mm -hmm. uh, theoretically, you didn't theoretically comply, comply with the judge's mm -hmm. order. Now, here's something very interesting. Um, yesterday, just yesterday, I was in Santa Clara County in the city of San Jose on a case where the department, in my opinion, can't prove the case 
unless they do have my client's medical records, which they, they have some of them, and I'm not sure how they got some of them, but they don't have all of their mm-hmm. medical records. And they're going to try to uh, prove a case without their medical records. Yesterday I kind of got pushed um, from all sides, minor council, county council, and the, um, uh, the court to, you know, release those, that information to um, the county. And I've been consulting with another very experienced juvenile attorney in town. Uh, his name is Art Rosalento. And uh, I think that we're going to be filing a writ to the Court of Appeals in that particular district because I don't think the court can make me turn over her private medical records. So mm-hmm. we're going to have some type of dispositive issue hopefully coming up soon if the Court of Appeals decides not to um, rule on the case or rules against us, we still can bring it up on appeal if we do lose this trial eventually. Uh, and the trial starts later on this month. But anyway, so you've asked a very good question. But for your purposes, I would say, you know, as the state of the law stands right now, if you don't sign that HIPAA release, you may not be able to reunify with your children. Now, I'm not saying Mm -hmm. you won't be able to, but, you know, the odds, in my opinion, would be going against you at this point under the state of the law in California right now. I'm sorry, I can't give you a definite answer. Go ahead. No, you've given me plenty. I have another question. Speaking of appeals, we already know that we're going to have to appeal our case. We, we, we know that. My husband was doing some research about how to, what do we need to do with our attorneys to protect our right to appeal. In other words, if they don't object to certain things or say certain things, then we can't appeal, correct? Well, <clears throat> yes and no again. Um, if they don't object to certain things, the Court of Appeal may consider that a waiver of, you know, your appellate rights on that issue. Or you could always argue um, what they call ineffective assistance of counsel. So in these types of cases, right, like the marginal cases, no, 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 not Marston. The Marston motion. Uh, on a- yes, and I wrote, I wrote that this last time. I'm sorry to interrupt, but I just need to tell you. I wrote this uh, uh, before the judge. He did not, he didn't change anything. We still are going to trial. Um, nothing, it seemed ineffective. I don't even know if the minute order is going to even have that I wrote the Marston. Uh, to be honest, this, this county is ridiculous. Um, but... Yeah, I don't know how to at this point guarantee that I, I, I I'm supposed to talk. He says we'll talk about it uh, next week, and it turns out the, this week he was on vacation, so they pushed it down to the 14th. But um, yeah, I don't I don't know what to say to this man other than the fact that I know I haven't been getting um, effective legal advice. And I need a higher court, higher than him, to look at our case. Okay. Um, trying to answer your question, 
and you are mixing up a couple of different issues. In your mind, it may lead to the same thing, but you've got to keep these issues separate legally if you have going to have any chance on appeal. Okay? Okay. And the issues that, mm-hmm. and the issues that you're mixing up are the Marsden hearing, and for the audience, a Marsden hearing is allowed where you have a conflict with your attorney. You can ask for the courtroom to be cleared and ask for a Marsden hearing where just you, the judge, the court reporter, and the bailiff are present, and the clerk, and you tell the judge why you need a new attorney because of some conflict of interest. What you had originally asked me was um, the ineffective assistance of counsel argument, which falls under a completely different statute or actually constitutional um, issue. And that's where you have been represented at trial and the the counsel didn't do a good job or an effective job. And then on appeal, you can raise that to the Court of Appeals that you had ineffective assistance of counsel. Do I have to say anything at trial to ensure that? Or is it something that automatically will happen when I file for the appellate court? I think both. But the problem is, is I don't okay. think you're represented by an attorney. I don't think I don't know if your attorney is going to let you say that. I don't know if the judge is going to let you say that. I don't know if you and your attorney want to write out something or type something out that you file with the court before the trial. You know, those are some things that you should uh, uh, talk about with your attorney because I'm getting the feeling it would be you great want to do if something. She, if that, she, it would be great if she would the feeling at least respond to my emails. She doesn't respond to my emails. She doesn't return my phone calls. I, I highly doubt that she's be willing to write something out for me. Um, hmm. I, I'm not sure I know what to say about that. Are you telling me that your attorney won't call you back or respond to you? No, she will not. She will wait until we get... On the 14th, yes, and uh, she waits until I come to court, and she'll call me in. She's court-appointed, of course. She's a a public defender. Um, She waits until five minutes before the the whatever, and she won't. She's refused to ask questions I want her to ask, things that are pertinent to my case. She refuses it. Um, when and you had I the did Marsden ask for Marsden. Hearing. I have not had a Marsden hearing. No, sir. I asked for it. Like I said, the judge said, we'll talk about that next week. We're not going to talk about that now. And and then next week came, he was on vacation, so he is all purposes. So even though there was a judge there, they would not allow him to hear anything we had to say. He just rescheduled it for the 14th, which is Thursday. And I'm having visits with my kids, and they're telling me they want to come home. Um, And my attorney won't return my calls or my emails. Well, um, in the county that you live in, I'm almost positive that there is a local county law library. Is there one? I haven't looked into it, but I will. Yes. What would you like me to yeah. look up, sir? 
Okay. I want you to go to your local county law library. I want you to ask for the reference law librarian. Reference law. Let me write that down, okay? Hold on one second. Good idea. Hold on, hold on. Getting a pen. Take your time. Okay. Reference law librarian. Okay. And go to that person and ask that person where you can get a sample motion for a Marsden hearing. I think it's spelled M-A-R-S-D-E-N. Yes, I've looked it up. Sample. Here, a sample. Where can I get a sample form? A sample motion to request a Marsden hearing. A Marsden hearing. Okay. And then tailor it to your situation. Before you file it, I would email your attorney one more time to see if, you know, you guys can talk about a strategy or what you're going to do and if your um, concerns can be, uh, you know, uh, addressed before you have the, before you file that request for a margin hearing. Because if you put it in writing, you put a declaration uh, that has facts that can't be uncontroverted, um, in my opinion, the judge might be compelled to uh, appoint you a new attorney. Okay. Um, to answer your question, sir, I've been, this is the same thing I've been doing for the last two months, emailing her, no response. I did do it in person. I emailed her just not too long ago and asked her, can we have an in-person, another in-person? No response. I left voicemails, no response. I asked the judge for Marston if hearing. Put, if you put he all just of said that we'll talk writing, about it. If you put that in yes. writing, okay, mm-hmm. and you file that, and you you know you have your declaration under penalty of perjury, I would guess that the judge is going to be forced to, to make a decision. When you say file that, where do I go to file that? Just uh, just to the clerk's. Uh, up at the you, courthouse, or what do I? Yeah, when you find the um, the uh, template, uh, and I'm thinking that it will also give you instructions on how to file and serve. But you would file that at the clerk's courthouse. You would definitely mm-hmm. give a copy to your attorney, and you would probably mm-hmm. give instructions to your attorney that she should serve it on any other people required by law. Although I don't think a Marsden, you know, request in motion like that has to be filed, or excuse me, has to be filed, but it has to be served on the other parties. That's something that's kind of confidential between you, your attorney, and the judge. But you should ask your attorney about it. You know, as a private attorney, you can imagine, um, I don't, I don't think I've ever been Marsden as a private attorney. So I haven't seen, you know, anything or been personally involved with the Marsden hearing for 20, 25 years when I was a court-appointed attorney way back when. 
Well, I sure wish you were a court-appointed attorney now, Salma King, because I sure could use you. Thank you so much. Um, yeah, let's All see right. what happens. I, I do need I need to do this before the 14th Thursday, correct? So I guess I better I head down to the law library. Go, yeah, I would go to the law library today, try to prepare what you need to prepare tomorrow, and then file it on Monday or contact your attorney on Monday and see if she responds. You know, I'd contact her by uh, calling her, by emailing her, and by texting her if you can so that you guys can discuss this because these margin hearings, this, this is a very serious matter. And maybe she can resolve and, and, and you know, uh, all of your concerns so that it doesn't have to be filed. You know, it's going to be tough um, for you I'm, to get I'm a new attorney appointed. It's going to be I, tough I, for you I'm to get a new attorney. I'm glad that you told me it's just me, the judge, and the bailiff because I had no idea. <laughs> so thank you so much. I will I will do just that. And I thank you so much for okay. all your help so far and keep keep on uh, helping us out. Thank you so much, sir. Can, can I tell you one last thing? Sure. With your trial fast approaching, it's going to be tough for you to get a new attorney to come on the case and do your trial. So you want to try to talk to and communicate with your attorney to try to keep her on the case and so that she can address her concerns, okay? Is it possible for, ideally, if I had a magic wand, <clears throat> I don't care, she could stay there. I just have 10 questions to ask, to have for on the record to both social workers, first of all, to my, my daughter who will be testifying, to my husband, and to one of my witnesses. Ten questions. Is it possible for the judge to let her stay on my case and let me ask those ten questions? My answer is yes, that is a possibility. And I have seen that happen in other cases, cases that I wasn't involved in, but, you know, I was sitting in the courtroom and I, and I saw things like that or similar things happen. Sometimes what they do is they let the person represent themselves with the attorney there to be, quote, unquote, advisory counsel to help you out in case, you know, something comes up. Is that possible? Oh, my God, yes. It's possible, but I'm I'm not advising you to do that. Um, You know, I'm just telling you that I've seen that happen before. Uh, You you need to be represented by a licensed attorney with experience in juvenile dependency matters. So you got, in my opinion, you need to resolve your communication problems with your attorney one way or the other. Because if you... If you try to represent yourself, let me get, make this perfectly clear. In my opinion, that's, that's a strategy for disaster. Let me tell you mm-hmm. why. Justice isn't what you think. Justice isn't based upon your personal experiences. It's not based upon your personal beliefs. It's not based upon what people tell you. Justice is based upon laws, appellate cases, and rules. And I'm going to just make a wild guess. 
you don't have any experience in any of that. Nope. Like if I ask you, do you know about the evidence code? The answer is probably going to be no. If I ask you about the code no. of civil procedure, the answer is going to be no. If I ask you about certain things about the ins and outs of the welfare and institutions code, the answer is probably going to be no. So if you don't know the rules, how are you going to how are you going to represent yourself? Right. Okay. That's like you right. playing one on one basketball with Kobe Bryant. You're going to lose. <laughs> yeah. Right. right. Try, to resolve, try to resolve the things with your uh, court appointed attorney. Get your thing. Get your communication addressed. And I'm sure you know she's um, he or she is a, a licensed member of the bar here in the state of California. So I give them, I give her the benefit of the doubt in that um, she will try to assist you, okay, because that's what all attorneys are supposed to do. All right? Thank you so much. Have a great day. Thank you. Keep us posted next week on what happens. I I will. I definitely will. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Yeah, it's a tough situation um, when the communication between an attorney and a client breaks down. Uh, if it can't be repaired, um, you know, I think people should uh, uh, try to get another attorney. But it doesn't sound like in this particular case all steps have been taken to try to repair that. Now, she may try to repair that situation, and it doesn't work, and, you know, then I think she's going to have to go for the Marsden hearing. All right, we're going to take our next call from area code 650, ending in 1-2. Good morning. You're on with attorney Vince Davis. Did you have a story to tell or a question to ask? Um, I have a question to ask. This is actually a follow-up. I called about twi- or twice. Uh, I didn't wasn't able to call in last week, but regarding um, housing assistance through the uh, CPS. And yes, I, recall, I, I remember yeah, yeah. Okay. So, um, unfortunately, I'm just um, I'm kind of giving up on that now. You know, like you suggested, help with uh, you know paying for an apartment or whatever. But the issue seems to be the fact that I'm on the family maintenance phase. So they're basically telling me that I have there is no possibility for them to help in housing because I'm on the family maintenance phase. Is that true? No, that's a tricky question. And it's yeah. splitting hairs, in my opinion. Now, this is just my opinion, okay? Based yeah. upon my experience as an attorney for 31 years, based upon my experience in the juvenile court system, based upon my research, my reading cases. In my humble opinion, it doesn't matter. But, here's the but. Yeah. I can see them making an argument and might be making a legitimate argument that it doesn't apply because you're on family maintenance and not family reunification services. But here's the problem with the argument. If you go homeless, guess who's going to want to take your kids away from you? The county well, right, social worker. Yeah, well, here's the, here's the issue. See, I'm, I'm the drug addict, uh, recovering drug addict, right? And so my daughter is with her dad, which we plan at some point to be together. I mean, like I talked about before, his mother doesn't want me coming to the house. So for me to move forward with being a better parent to my daughter, you know, because I can't move in with them at this point and I'm in a transitional housing, 
I can't have overnights with her also because of the uh, another program I put myself into to um, back up my recovery. But I can't have overnights with her. I can't, you know what I'm saying? I really can't be the mother to her, like, I, you know, and she's suffering from that. You know what I'm saying? So they're like, so I was, I, I don't understand, or I was under the impression that they would, you know, I mean, the, the moral of CPS is really to help reunify, supposedly, with our kids, right? So that, That's what they say. I mean, right, right. <laughs> so, you know, like, I'm really at a stuck point. You know, and, and all the reports are she's fine where she's at, you know what I'm saying, and blah, blah, blah. And not that she's not under good care with her dad, but how am I supposed to be there, you know, be a better mother and, and apply all the things that I've learned in the past six months, you know what I'm saying, to, to do that for her when I, I'm stuck, you know what I'm saying? I don't, I, I don't qualify for any housing in the county of San Mateo County because I don't have mental health issues. And no offense to anybody with mental health issues. I'm just saying I just have a drug problem, you know. Right. Well, most, you know, I'm not personally familiar with San Mateo County, um, but in most counties and cities, sometimes it's at the city level, you can apply for housing assistance through the housing authority. Now, I happen to know this because I, in a lifetime, a previous lifetime, um, my firm used to represent tenants in landlord-tenant disputes. And we still do a little uh-huh. bit of it in the slumlord housing cases. But, the, you know, if you are homeless or about to become homeless, I was under the impression you could go to your local housing authority. And it's usually, in, in California, it's usually administered by at the city level, not the county level. Uh-huh. And they can help you with housing. I mean, this is America. We shouldn't have people living you know, being homeless. So I would encourage you to get online and Google that, but look at it through your local city. And just Google, you know, what city do you live in? I live in Redwood City. Okay, so you do Redwood City Housing Authority. Okay. Yeah, I mean, I could, yeah, because the Housing Authority, like, they put you on a long waiting list, and it's a lottery, you know. I mean, I, I've I've gotten myself on that list, but I was just, you know, wondering, like, if there was any still hope through the courts. But because it's like my lawyer doesn't, I mean, I sent her our, the podcast that I've been on with you, and she just, you know, I don't know. I don't know. She's a good lawyer, but I just feel like she could actually just at least try and, you know what I'm saying, state the fact that I can't move forward with my kid, you know what I'm saying, at where I'm at, you know, and, and what's in the long-term goals of reunifying with her because, of whatever you know what I'm saying with the situation I'm in but and that's the not that I want to be patted on the back you know what I'm saying but I've done everything they've asked me to do you know plus more because I want to stay sober you know so I just want to call in well, wait again. Are, you, are you are your children <laughs> with you or not with you my my daughter is with her father but we still have a case, we still have the open case so we she was in foster care for 45 days and we did everything we had to do get her back in our home, in our home. But since then I relapsed and then I had to go to a drug program. I completed that. I put myself into another long-term drug program. Um, so, cause I was going to have to go serve jail, but I didn't want to put my daughter, you know, through having me totally gone. Um, and well, so I'm not wait in a minute, home. Ma'am. Okay. So yeah. you're not in family maintenance. The father is in family maintenance you should still be under family reunification services. 
Really? Yeah. Hmm. See, yeah, that's what, yeah, I was wondering, like, because I'm not reunified with her, so I don't know how it's family maintenance, because it's only family, yeah, family maintenance for the two of them, because they're together, you know? Aha. Right. It's family maintenance. It's family maintenance as to the father. It should be yeah. family reunification services as to the mother. Okay. So if the social right. worker told you that, the social worker may not know, or she may be trying to be fast talking you, so that yeah. you don't, you know, she doesn't have to give you those services. Right. By the way, it's you know what you're asking for. Although, in my opinion, is part of the law, just, you know, um, politically speaking, I don't get the feeling that county workers or maybe even judges, you know, want to give you or want to pay for your housing. Right. Just, you know, just as a matter of personal principle. Yeah, I, I, I get that feeling completely. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, the best thing that I could do is, you know, tell you, talk to your attorney, try to make the motion and see what the judge does. I mean, you know, the judge can only deny it. You know, what if the right. court grants it in part or in whole? Right. Yeah, you're absolutely Please. right. Yeah, I mean, the worst I can say is no, you know. <laughs> I've heard that a lot. Right. <laughs> so try to make that motion and see what happens. There, you know, okay. As I told you, I think on previous shows, there is legal authority for this. Right. There's a okay. whole other section of the Welfare and Institutions Code that a lot of people don't know about, the 16,500 sections. It talks about family reunification services, what it is. There are right. cases from California and other jurisdictions that, you know, have ruled what family reunification services are. There are, um, you know, probably federal cases that talk about this as well. Because all of this stuff comes from federal regulation, federal laws, and federal, you know, it's all federal money. Right. Federal money okay. runs the juvenile system in California. So, you know, maybe you should do some research or have your attorney do some research. And I wish you luck. I hope, you know, you can get this housing so you can get your child back. Yeah, thank you. I go to court on the 25th, so I'll let you know what happens. <laughs> After. Okay, very good. good All right, thank you. you so much. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, so I'm going to take our next call. It's area code 562, ending in 17. Good morning. Good morning. You're on with attorney. Good morning. Did you have a story to tell or a question to ask? We were both... Um, it's really been tough. Uh, uh, yeah, I've been working with you a long time, and to all the listeners out there, uh, Vincent's a, a fine man, and I really appreciate you donating your time on the radio show. It's really nice that you take your time or your hectic week to spend a little bit of time with us listeners. Um, my case is just about a little bit of everything. I think I went through everything you could do in getting your family back together again. And did it all wrong, <laughs> but um, you know I um, uh, it, it's really a struggle because see my family and I guess the listeners need to know that um, my case wasn't about drugs. It wasn't a, a case about um, some of the things that typically are what social services get involved in um, because I had economic 
disaster, and I lived in an affluent neighborhood. And uh, um, and with my age, when I, I lost my job, that was the whole key to my whole problem with social services, is um, being a um, white collar worker here, um, working really hard all my life. Um, social services isn't really out there to assist somebody like me. They expect you to have certain things to get taken care of. And I lost my job not because of not performing, not because of my age, because of the economic disaster that we had with the bank starting in 2007 and the, and the misappropriate of some public funds that the state of California was using for other areas when they had promised me a contract. So it hit me pretty hard at And so um, trying to get work at that age is very, very hard. And, yeah, I did that. And I think also telling my family suddenly we have to go from a comfortable lifestyle to a Spartan lifestyle didn't work very well. And that's when one of our kids really, I guess, went off the deep end or went off in a different direction. And then, you know, you do all the wrong things. And so now um, that the case is closed, uh, our family, who was a very loving family, very caring family, well, we did have issues in the area of how we discuss things with each other. So, that's the, the domestic violence thing with the the arguments and the yelling, that 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 kind of thing. But um, fortunately, uh, of our three children, two of them are, are back with us, um, and uh, and those two are seem to be okay. The problem is what social services did, and uh, I think it's really wrong what they did. And that's where my lawsuit comes into play. You had mentioned to me that. Uh, we have a, a really good lawsuit against them, not only for an incident where the social worker lied and for a year pursued uh, me that I violated a restraining order, which I never did, um, and it was later dropped. But, you know, that cost a fortune just to sit there with their attorney showing up every day, every month, um, trying to um, get it resolved. And I did the bad mistake in the very beginning, trying to settle things and agreeing to plea bargain and doing Things like that should never have, and that was advice. Again, it all it all depends around money. That's the whole problem in life here is that you need professional help. You need a surgeon, a heart surgeon, to help you. But if you don't have the funds, you can't uh, you can't do so. So then you take the uh, court appointed attorneys, and they're just trying to just uh, do something simple. Their caseload is so heavy, they don't have time to really defend you. And then you got the uh, instigators and social services that lie and lie and lie. And I was supposed to have family reunification as a father with my daughter, who's 16 now. And I was never afforded that family reunification even once. I never had a meeting where they would allow me to meet with her to discuss what was bugging her or to work out differences or try to get close. Instead, they took a, a stake and stabbed in my heart and divided me from my daughter. And so... The ending result was is that you had a family of, of three loving children, a mother and a father, and social service destroyed them. Um, me and my wife, you know, are not the same anymore. Um, we're still together as far as, as, as far as a marriage. We're not divorced, but we live in two separate households. Now my boys are always confused because they don't want to take sides. I don't want them to. And our daughter, uh, you know, in three months' time, was living with a foster family and went ahead and uh, – said, oh, I want to be adopted by them. And so she's done that. She's changed her name because 
what's happened is that my wife's family has really uh, gone after her, and she's really been there. So what my um, thing leading to is this lawsuit. Now, the last time I talked, we were talking about a lawsuit only going after the line of the social worker. But I thought at the very beginning when we were first talking about the lawsuit <laughs> and how it would be there is that we would be going after the social services itself for denying my uh, my my rights, my civil rights, to have a, a unification, a family unification with my daughter, and that never took place, never once. And they railroaded so much stuff through there, and I thought we really had a solid case. But last time I talked to you, it sounds like it's just um, it's just something that's you know not going to be a very good case, I guess. I don't know, so. I, I, I leave it here, Vince, and I, I really don't know what to do um, about my civil rights. I, I, I think that I have been denied that. So my question is, how come a father doesn't get visitation rights with his daughter? I mean, why is that being denied? Well, the reason why it's being denied is because your daughter uh, opted to be adopted and I think she was 15 or 16. And since she opted to be adopted, and when they terminated your parental rights, um, you no longer have parental rights towards custody or visitation. Yeah, I I know that that's what that's what transpired. But my question is: is before she was adopted, before was up there. There's supposed to be a process of where you have visitation, uh, you know, family unification with your daughter. If you don't have that, then uh, you know she's been she was brainwashed into thinking what she wanted to do. I mean, you have to understand is that she's going from uh, a family that had a lot of money, they had you know Disneyland passes and well to do and get any clothes you want, to a Spartan lifestyle because we lost all the money and so. She's going to go where the gold is. I mean, we've always known that from her from day one. But she's a Barbie girl that wants to live in a Barbie world. And uh, the thing I'm trying to understand is that how can social services get away with the damage they've done to me, to uh, my family, uh, to my lifestyle, to my well-being? They've done so much to me and damages that I would think it would be worth millions of dollars if you put a value to it. You know, I was talking about a lawsuit earlier where some um, terrible things had been done to a family, and currently uh, the county is offering $500,000 to settle the case. Mm -hmm. And, you know, a lot of people think these cases are worth millions and millions and millions. And from just an ordinary point of view, I would agree. But, you know, the law and juries sometimes seem, you know, um, see the things differently. You know, I'm reminded of a case that I went to watch, um, it seems like a couple of years now, and it was a, a case for civil rights violations against the county of Los Angeles. And the attorney for the plaintiff in that case was an attorney from uh, San Diego uh, by the name of Sean McMillan. 
He is one of the, if not the guru of these types of cases in California. Now, he took this, I think they asked for in the opening statement, you know, maybe 20 million or I forget what the number was. It was a huge amount of money. And what they had done to this poor mother, you know, it was worth, in my mind, you know, there was no price, actually. But I thought they were going to get, uh, you know, eight figures for sure, you know, mid to high eight figures. The jury came back. A lot of things happened in the case. You know, I think it was a six or seven-week trial. A lot of things happened in the case. And the jury awarded, and I want to say only, but it's a lot of money, uh, awarded her, I think, $3.1 million, something like that. And it's part of the public record. You can look it up. You can Google it. And $3 million is a lot of money, but what they did to her, you know, uh, in my mind, was worth $30 million. So a lot of people think that these cases are worth millions and millions, and sometimes judges and juries see see it just a little differently. And I understand that's our our justice system. But in your case, um, we do plan on, on going forward with the claim of the civil rights violation with a social worker lying about that uh, restraining order violation, that was just an out and out right, you know, lie that caused you mm-hmm. severe, severe problems, not only in the case but with the relationship of all your children, etc. Now, you guys got um, the two boys back. The girl didn't want to come back, and I'm not going to get into the details of your case, but there were other things no. going on in the case that that you haven't mentioned, and maybe you disagree with, uh, you know, those facts, but, you know, there were other things going on. But suffice it to say, we are filing a case for you, for the mother and the two boys with respect to um, the civil yeah. rights violations by, by that well, one just, I guess what I was social late. worker who yeah, did both. lie in many reports, right. even caused you to get um, criminal prosecution which was where the case was actually thrown out because the DA, in my mind, um, the district attorney realized that the social worker had lied. And there was a a lot of facts and background that we can prove that, but that's, that's why I think they finally dropped the criminal case. But that's, that's the extent in my mind that this social worker went to, to try to keep your boys away from you. She made a report that was not true. She knew it wasn't true. And if she didn't know it at the time she made the first report, when she wrote the second, third, fourth, you know, fifth report against you, when she reported it to the the DA, when she reported to the DA, I think she knew it was true. And I think that she still reported it and, you know, under the auspices that you had done something criminally wrong when she knew you hadn't. But I think it was her... I, you know, I think it was a plan. The more and more I think about it, I think it was a plan to try to keep your children away from you. Uh, she was not successful. And, you know, the reason why she not, wasn't successful is because when we finally had the trial or were going to have the trial and we brought your son in to testify, I actually think he was going to testify that a lot of the things that, she, that the social worker had written in her reports were actually false. I think well, your it, son it, was going to get up on the sand. It was a. It was. I think he was going to get up on the sand and expose him, 
And before they let us do that, they said, okay, you can have your boys back. Right. Here's the thing is, but the, it was a but farce. The damage, but the damage, had already, the, the damage had already been done with respect to your daughter because they were feeding your daughter this false information, and they were feeding your, child, your sons this false information. So even Luckily, though they didn't give they, me any visit, uh, any family reunification, my daughter, I have no grounds for anything against social services for taking away my daughter. You do have claims. I'm not sure they're going to be successful because as I was telling okay. the last caller, the, the law isn't what you think in this area. Okay. Now, the other thing is the judge on at least two or three occasions did find that the social workers did um, provide you with family reunification services. And there's an issue in, in the law called collateral estoppel and race judicata. And basically what that means is if a judge in one court decides something, you can't go to another court and try to prove that it's not correct. But okay, um, that, that, that's a whole other discussion. Anyway, well, the, the I want to thank... Going I, wanna, to this, well, I just want to finish with one, one thought here. The damage that we're talking now with the um, the alleged violation of the damage order is that I, I've not been able to get a job. I, I mean, this is the whole thing. There's a monetary value for that. You're looking at, uh, you know, a $250,000 a year job that I had that I can't get, and that has a monetary, direct monetary value. No, I agree. I Don't, don't get me wrong. You do have claims and you do have damages, which I think that you will win on certain issues, the issue with respect okay. to your daughter, it's a little bit more tenuous. But okay. anyway, well, thank I want to thank you. I want to thank you for calling. Yeah. We're running out of time, okay. and please All keep right. listening. I will. Thank you. So we're coming towards the end of the show. Um, I can't take any more calls, but I do want to tell the audience that you can get information from me from look, by looking at one of my websites. FightChildProtectiveServices.com. I also have HelpFightCPS.com, and then FCPS.Lawyer. FCPS.Lawyer. And by the way, that F stands for Fight Child Protective Services.Lawyer. We have videos. We have um, you can print out. I think handouts. Excuse me. I even think that you can get a copy of my book at these websites. If you have any um, questions about getting a copy of the book, The Secret, How to Fight Child Protective Services and Win, just call my office and tell them you want a copy of the book, and they'll mail it out to you. You can call 888-888-6582. Also, check us out on YouTube, youtube.com, and just type in my name, Vincent. I think it's Vincent Davis, attorney. And you'll come up with uh, videos that we post there. And we're posting more and more videos um, each week. So take a look at our new videos that we're posting. And you can also check us out on Facebook uh, for our Fight CPS uh, Facebook page. Also, there was um, one other thing. I had been contacted by some people, and it got rolling, and then it kind of died out, but it's now going to start taking off in the next month or two. Um, there is a web page, not a web page, a Facebook page called CPS, colon, the horror stories, 
CPS, the horror stories. And, and the concept was that people from all over the country would tell their story kind of in a reality TV-based series, um, and that program would be uh, end up, you know, as a on um, television somehow. Um, but I've been contacted recently by people who want to produce that show, and they're going to try to make it a Netflix show, Netflix show or just an Internet show. Uh, so please be watching for that, CPS The Horror Stories. I want to thank everybody for listening, and we'll see you next week on the radio.